Well, thank you. Well, we're, we're continuing this series, and today we're, we're shifting gears, and, and um, uh, you know I'm a bit of a prodder, but uh, we're a church of prodding. We're, we're a church of grit. We're a church of making it real, and so today I, I really want to talk into the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in your life, your situation, because last week we talked about the obvious, the overt, uh, things like miracles and, and those sorts of things that God can do and does do. Uh, and, and how we can begin to grow that. But for me, I, I look at this sort of service and, and I'm one of these people that reassesses, reinvents all the time. And I constantly challenge myself, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Are we doing this just to, why do we come together? Uh, why does poor old Amy have to get woken up out of bed to come down and play piano for us? Is it worth it? What are we doing here? What, are, we, are we here? Why are you here? Is it, what do you want? on a Sunday? Are you wanting to connect with people, connect with God? I mean, I know my own tendency is I would, I'd love to just be able to come and, and be encouraged, be reminded, be strengthened, preferably not over-challenged, just a little bit. Pat, just take the edge off that finger and stop, you know. But is that, is that what we want? Or do we want something else? Because for me, first prize is that plus a whole lot more. For me, first prize is what I saw last night. For, for me, first prize is the lives that I see, uh, you know, r- relatively regularly where it's not just going through the motions. It's not just, um, it's not just being a Christian, but the world would never know. It's not just doing life. It's not just playing church. It's not just, t- let's turn the lights on and sing Kumbaya. It's, it's good. But for me, it's something else. It's, it's lives that comprehensively shift, that go through moments where the presence of God in our life makes us obviously, overtly and covertly different, fundamentally in our DNA to the, to the world, to the way we respond, to the way we go through our hardships, to the way we overcome our addictions and so on. And these moments are first prize for me, where people go through these thresholds into a whole new place, where they were like this and then they got to a place and then God did something and then something comes out the other side that's markedly different. So today we're going to have a, a look at that. And this, this is covert. This is on the inside. This is your story. This is where am I at on, on this journey? Because you've got to understand that God has an agenda for you. It's a hidden agenda. Don't you hate hidden agendas? Just give it to me on the contract so I can know what's going. But we don't often get that. We just sign up in faith and we're on the journey. Uh, but he's got a hidden agenda for you that... There's little glimpses of in Scripture. Romans 8.29 talks about it. It says, that for those God foreknew, He also predestined. Hang on. He predestined. So He's sorted this out in advance. He's called you and He's predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. So there's a hidden agenda that's no longer so hidden. He's destined you to be conformed, to be like Jesus. Does He want you to wear a cape and hang on a cross? No, He's done that. No need for that but he wants to be who Jesus would be if Jesus were you. So in your workplace, in your community, in your school, wherever you are, what would Jesus be like if he was there? Not the carpenter's son anymore, but you. So that's his agenda. He wants you to be like Jesus would be if he was in that situation. But this is a mission that statement that's just often for us too hard to grasp. It's like, dude, it's over the horizon, it's too far, I know I'm heading that way, and let's, can we just sing Kumbaya? Because I can't get a grip on that. I don't know what that really means but you'll find yourself confronting it through life. So I want to give you some next steps and talk about the stages of this just a little, and I've I've done it in different ways before, but I want to do it in another different way today. 
because your personalities are all different, your stage of life is all different. So how does it look when it's you? Well, let's talk about these stages. So I'm going to get uh, Noah to put up on the, on the slide here, just to be able to work through with these slides. So there's a, um, a book called The Critical Journey by J.O. Hagberg, and they present this model of journeying with God. And it's really quite a principle-based idea where we talk about the seasons and cycles of growth and where we grow and how we cyclically do that. The first one up on the screen there is awareness. So this is really the stage uh, where, for some of you, it might have been childhood. Uh, for myself, it was uh, early adulthood, where I'm aware of the gospel, I'm aware of God, and I'd start this journey to come into that. Um, and then we give our heart to Jesus, we place our faith in Christ, and we walk, we step over the threshold into this area called growth. Growth, Christian growth. What we're talking about, essentially, in many ways, is being inducted into churchianity. You can't believe a pastor just said that, can you? But this is, this is really what we've learned to do for the last 100 years or so in the West, is we've learned to be very good at inducting you into how to behave. You're a Christian now, you've taken that step of faith, now there's an expectation on you to grow, to do certain things. So we want you to turn up at church uh, twice a Sunday. How's that working out? Um, know your Bible, know how to pray, get into a small group, do all the things that Christians do. Stop swearing, sell the Harley Davidson and buy a moped, um, whatever, whatever they used to be in the 70s. You know, it's like, now you've got to clap in church and sing happy songs and you get inducted into the way we do church. And, and in that process, we include discipleship and so that becomes sort of our growth track of forming your soul. And it does, it does a job. So it's like you get saved, now we're going to teach you what to do. We've got to teach you how to behave, right? You, you belong first and then you behave. That's the way it goes. We don't teach you to behave first before you belong. It's more important that you're part of the family. Then as you grow in that, you learn that one of the things we do is contribute. So the next stage is you start to steward this new life. You go, well, what do I do? I'm fundamentally different now. So now how do I steward this life? What's God gifted me at? What can I contribute? And you want to get involved. And so you start to work. And what happens then is this very interesting cycle that Christians go through because at each one of those stages, there's a wall. There's a wall of faith at awareness. Uh, there's a, way, a, a wall of hope at growth. Uh, and then there's a, which I won't go into today, but then there's a wall of dissatisfaction that happens in the contribution stage at the end of it where we go, man, I've been plowing this field for years now. I've been doing the church game. I've given money. I've given time. I've turned up. But gee, I'm dissatisfied with this whole thing. But you just keep going because there's no other path presented to you. It's like, what do we do now? We'll just keep doing that stuff because that's what it means to be Christian. And so you find that churches, for example, have a back door that's just that little bit smaller, hopefully, than their front door. You know what I mean? So as long as it keeps growing, no one notices that there's a whole heap of people exiting out the back because they've hit the dissatisfied stage and there's no answer for it, apparently. But what's happening is this thing called the wall the wall. And we all hit this point one way or the other. And the wall we saw in uh, The Lion King, I think I, I pressed this in the, a few weeks ago, the wall is where we're confronted. We can't go any further because the problem isn't our church, the problem isn't our workplace, the problem isn't uh, the state premier or the prime minister. The problem's in here. It's our inability to have the capacity with God and with our human nature to break through this life that we're living. And so we hit this thing called the wall. If we get through that, and I'm going to come back to the wall in a moment, if we break through the wall, then we break into this other zone called surrender. Because this is what it looks like on the other side of the wall. 
but the wall's too high, you can't see over. So you can't pretend. You can't go, what have I got to do that's on the other side of the wall? If I behave like that, is that okay? And I can bypass this process. It doesn't actually work that way. It's too high. And the wall, and the wall is not a wall. The wall is actually a stair. It's, it's something for you to grow through and grow up on. But on the other side, you can't see. The life on the other side of the wall is one of humility and surrender, a degree of really healthy brokenness and so on. It's a place where you realise you just can't do this life alone and you stop doing the Christian life, the churchianity that you've been inducted into but taught to do predominantly in your own strength and you say, now I've just realised I can never do this in my own strength. The Christian life is very little about that. The Christian life is all about a life of faith where I depend on Him. It's the most beautiful moment where you stop taking yourself too seriously and you realise this is actually all up to him. And there's such a freedom that comes from that. From that stage, there's another stage called the paradox. And it's this weird place that postmoderns uh, love this place. They, they get this. Uh, boomers and, and Gen Xers like me, we, we need to learn this thing. It's like, no, it's got to make sense to us, the whole Christian life. I can't lose my life and save it. It doesn't make any sense to us, so we've got to really struggle. But postmoderns love this. It's like, I can live with two totally opposite realities and call them one, it's fine. But this is a, what you experience in the life of surrender. It's Colossians 1.29 where Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy that he gives me. It's like, who's doing the work? Well, yes. You know, it's a paradox. There are so many paradoxes in the Christian life on the other side of the wall. The last stage is love where we just find such a degree of peace and surrender and faith um, that I can't help but overflow that into the way I impact the world. No one has to tell me to get out on mission. No one has to tell, the church doesn't have to form a program for me to be an evangelist. I just can't help it. It's an overflow of my life. And so this cycle that we go through then begins again, because once you come into this stage of love, when you fulfill our little church's mantra of filling hearts, fueling mission, that's what this really means you then go through it all again. Because when you're in that stage of love, then suddenly you have a whole new awareness of God. It's Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. Paul prays, now you're doing all that now that you would know this love of God in a whole new way because it's going to take you on a whole new journey of this and you get to go around again and again. But for me, first prize is the other side of the wall. That's where I want us to be going. And I realise we all are somewhere on the journey, but the real stuff happens on the other side of the wall. And... There's sort of things that we say when we find ourselves bouncing off it, because we all, we'll all do that. But we start to have things going on in our mind and our conversations that say things like, I'm so stale in my life, I just don't know why. I just, I just where's the zing? Where's the journey? Where's the next step? Or where's my joy gone? I've tried everything and nothing seems to work in my life. I don't even think things can ever be different because I've just hit this thing. I'm sick of the church, I'm so let down, I'm so broken, it's all so frustrating. My life generally, I just can't do this anymore. That's the sign you're at the wall. And if you find yourself saying, I don't like this wall, this wall hurts, I keep getting a headache, and you, and you turn around and walk the other way, you'll find that life will conspire in some way because there's a holy conspirator at work who will just keep bringing you back. But knowledge is power. When you realise this isn't just a frustrated life I've got going on here, this is actually a journey and this wall is a staircase, then you can at least have the faith to begin to navigate it. But this holy conspirator will remove all the exit ramps off this difficult road. And you know what I'm talking about there? You, you go down a road, oh, this is too hard, I'm turning right now. I don't like this job, I'm going left now. 
And so, but, but then when God's got this hidden agenda that starts to come out, suddenly the exit ramps are cut off and you find the road narrowing and narrowing and narrowing to the point where all roads and pathways just seem to lead to this wall. And I'm just stuck there. Now I've got to deal with this stupid thing. But more transformation happens at the wall than anywhere else. The biggest shift, the biggest growth, the greatest change, the greatest life circumstance changes when you learn how to navigate this wall. And if we allow ourselves to change and to trust, then life looks how life should look. And it changes the statements that we say. Now, we can, because we, we're in the surrender zone, we're saying, I'm placing radical faith in God to save me because I can't, and I'm really happy with that. I no longer need to strive or impress or work as hard as I do. I just don't need all that anymore. Even if life crumbles, I'm following Jesus. Even if I get sacked because of my beliefs, I'm following Jesus. Even though it makes no sense, I'll follow Jesus and be happy about it. And so what we find, though, is that our choice to obey at the wall, our choice to place faith, will often catalyze not only a change in us, but a huge amount of displeasure in the people around us. Because they conspire too to keep us in the place where we are. Have you noticed that? Life and the dynamics of people around us. If we start to break through, they don't like that. Suddenly I'm feeling strong, I'm not putting up with your manipulation anymore. That's not acceptable anymore. And all the things that conspire against us and all the unhealthy things that go on, they now start to feel the pain of that instead of us. This is what life at the wall can begin to look like because we're disrupting their expectations instead of theirs disrupting us. It's getting personal now, isn't it? So what I'd like to do in each one of these series, I'm uh, bringing a testimony from one of our own of just a story of this. And I'm going to invite uh, Bree Field up on, on stage now, so Bree can come on up. Uh, have you got a mic, Bree? Yeah. Bree and I have been travelling now uh, for about six years together, and uh, just a wonderful young woman, and she's had an incredibly difficult journey that a lot of you here, I know, uh, have had the same journey, of, are having the same journey, or are contemplating that same journey. And it's something that we can relate to, it's real, and it's gritty. So come on over, Bree, and I'm going to let you go, which I don't say often. Um, just to open with a question, though. But there was, there's a battle surviving before the wall, there's a battle getting through the wall. But you've come through both those places with a lot of courage, with a lot of support and a lot of help of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to know, how did God work through all that and how did that change you? So, uh, Thank you, Pat. I like how Pat honours people. You do it very well. Hi, church. Um, so identity is a massive part of my journey and it keeps coming back to that over and over again. And I think identity isn't something that can be grasped for. It's something that has to be received. And God longs to give us identity and release that over us. But the world falls over itself to offer up a counterfeit version as well. And I didn't know that God had good things for me. I didn't know that he wanted a relationship with me. I knew he was good and I knew that he loved everyone. I just figured he loved everyone a bit more than me. And I could make his life easier if I just followed the rules and didn't make a fuss. So... Without even knowing, I had started um, serving a counterfeit God and submitting to a counterfeit judge and tolerating a counterfeit identity that I knew didn't fit. It never felt right. Um, but I had no other alternative to have any firm footing on to 
challenge it. Like there was no other option, so I just continued on. Um, and I think the eternity God puts in our hearts, and you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, that part of us wars against this counterfeit muck that we pick up. And it's trying to get us back to God because it's only when we're in alignment with him that he can take care of all that internal stuff and restore us and heal us and redeem us. But again, I didn't know that. Um, so I continued on. And as Pat mentioned, like when you, when you find yourself with that upbringing and then also in an abusive situation, things like it's just the perfect storm. So the thing about abuse is that it strips you of any capacity to think objectively. You are isolated and then you're conditioned to believe that you have to behave and think according to a, um, a set of approved, pre-approved criteria. And if you function outside of that, you are punished and you experience pain. So you learn very quickly that if you want to feel safe and stay safe, you have to not challenge and you have to submit and you have to obey. And your reality is often denied and an alternative one is projected on you. Um, your boundaries don't matter. They don't mean a thing. And you're conditioned, to, um, you're conditioned to believe that you can't make good judgments or apply sound reasoning. So you begin to doubt everything about yourself, including your mind. Um, any skill or gift you have that is unique and special to you is, is twisted against you and used to tear you down. And any honor that's directed towards you is also like, it's tainted with shame. So you begin to avoid and fear being honored because it's painful as well. And there's also no consistency. So you might identify something that was a trigger in the past. And so you decide, you know, to be safe, let's sidestep over here and we'll avoid that. But now the sidestep actually causes a greater fallout than what you were first trying to avoid or you don't sidestep and you resign yourself to the pain, but it, it doesn't come because this time, for whatever reason, it's fine. So there's, there is literally nowhere safe. There's no safe foundation to base anything on because everything is a trap. So this was five, six years ago now where I'd spent seven years in this abusive cycle, but I'd also had that lifetime of believing that there was no other alternative but I had come to the end of myself, like I'd exhausted every other avenue. And I was so consumed by the pain of my circumstances, I couldn't even think of an option that was better or good. And I was desperate. Was that up there? That's a good one, desperation. Um, so in that season, I was able to be part of a course, Reform, which, which runs at Kenmore. And it introduced me to a God that's actually good and present and I learned that he wanted relationship with me and I actually learned how to hear from him so um, in a moment of worship one day the Holy Spirit encountered me and I was actually able to see how God saw me and to see the delight that he took in me and the honor and the worth and the value he attributed to me um, was unlike anything I'd ever experienced and in that moment, he rebirthed my identity. Um, but the kicker is nothing in my circumstances changed. I mean, they, did, they got worse. They got, they got really bad because now the, the stark contrast between how God saw me and what I was living in 
was undeniable and I still was having to live in it. Um, so there was no miraculous breakthrough for me in that moment and there was no instant fix. But what I had was identity that was sourced from God and actually for the first time in my life, like a firm footing and a foundation to start putting weight on so I could actually start standing up against all the muck that the world and the counterfeit tries to throw at you. And the more I looked to God and the more I aligned with him, the bigger that foundation got. And you say this a lot, you become what you behold. And the more I looked at God and surrendered enough to allow him to minister to my heart as well, the bigger that foundation got. And I think we forget how big God is. Like if we actually take time to look at him, like there is nothing that he can't do. Like there is no pain in my story and there is no trial in my life that he looks at and thinks, oh, don't know if we can handle that. Um, and so it, my circumstances didn't change, but the more I looked at him, the bigger he got. And so he grew me with him beyond my circumstances. And um, I know I couldn't have done any of that by myself because I tried. Seven years I had tried to do that by myself in my own strength and my mind was a prison. So I actually couldn't think about being able to do that. And he broke in and he brought freedom and peace and clarity. And I realized that I can't afford to have a thought in my mind about me that God doesn't have in his. And all of this took time. Um, it wasn't fast. It was still often very painful and scary. Um, but God equipped me to learn and heal and battle from him. And I stood in hope for another five years um, while I exhausted every other avenue again, but this time from God instead. But the hope, the hope in my circumstances that wasn't realized, and that is something that I grieve, but he's big enough for that as well. Mm. Is that helpful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just very aware that a number of us are on this journey and the page isn't written yet about how that journey ends. We're not, sometimes it results in a necessary ending uh, of a relationship or a family dynamic. Not always. We're not, we're not cons conscripting any of that. We're just saying that God's call is to conform us to a place of health in, our, in our, the wholeness of who we are. And sometimes that has ramifications for situations that aren't acceptable. And so we need to then, that which was a tension that we used to manage now becomes a problem that needs to be solved. And so the, the people around us then need to bring great wisdom and prayer to bring about God's outcome there. Um, so I'd just like to, if, if I could, just pray um, for those who are on this journey. And I know there's probably at least in this room today 25 who are in this journey as well. And for the rest of us, um, if we could just invite the Holy Spirit's presence to bring faith and an awareness of God's love so that we would get an accurate picture of our identity because that's what transforms our soul. That's the starting place of that. Can we do that right now? This, this matters to a lot of people. So, Father, we just really pray, and as we stand with Bree, who's really for us today, an icon of what this can look like. I, we look at her and we see grace and we see uh, the joy. It reminds us, Father, of, of what even I saw last night, joy and, and tragedy in, in, in one moment. But, Father, I pray that for each of us, Lord, you'd meet us where we're at, in that journey, and Lord, that you would restore the truth 
of who your sons and daughters are and that they would live from that truth that they are beautifully and wonderfully made, all uh, deserving to be honoured, all deserving to be appreciated and to be treated justly. So Father, we just pray for grace and for wisdom. We pray for healing of hearts that have got so many scars that have gone so deep for so many years. I pray that you would invade that space and today begin the process of healing there and know that this church, this community, can live in the paradox. We all know the rules. We all know the rules. We all know the should-bes. Father, but we also know the unchanging fact of the brokenness of our human hearts that fail and don't get it right and requires us to find pathways. So, Father, will you give us the freedom to navigate that space without judgment but with just grace and love together. May we seek to understand, may we have the grace to be understood, and Lord, amongst all of us, be valued in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bree. Proud of you, kiddo. So the greatest lessons come from the greatest trials. Does God, does God orchestrate them? Uh, I tend to think life does a good enough job at that, to be honest, uh, but he will turn everything good, everything to good for those who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? His purpose is the transformation of our hearts towards freedom and life. That's his purpose. So for those of us who are working for that purpose, all things that happen can work towards that end. One thing I've found is when we, people who go through the wall uh, emotionally and, and, and relationally and so on... Uh, the one statement that comes through is, as hard as it was, I wouldn't go back for anything. Uh, and this is, this is the same word that comes from repentance. It's the same word that comes from renewal and revival. I could never go back to that place before. So perhaps uh, that's a journey that's one you've got to take, and we'd love to work on that with you. But there's, the transformative work there is often cloaked, and we don't see it. And it can either be cloaked a little bit in what you heard from Bree. It's like, well, it's all about identity. Yeah, that's a starting point. But what that identity does is set us up to be able to receive the fullness of God's Spirit in a way that transforms us. So we need to create the vessel by good thinking and good actions in our life. This is why obedience to God is never wrong. We can, we can get here and say, oh, the current trend is we talk about grace, not rules. But the good thing about faithfulness is it creates a vessel in which God can fill. So if I don't have any love within me, I can still behave in a loving way and faith that God fills me with the love I need. That's the space of faithfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about the process. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Sanctify means to set you apart, to transform, to do the work. So it's him that's doing the work. So may this, may this God himself be the one who changes your spirit. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. He will do what he purposes. He will do the transformation. He will do the sanctification as long as we're in a space that cooperates and aligns with what he's doing. So I love the way Paul goes there and he brings up this tripartite architecture of humanity, spirit, soul, body. It's a whole person process. So the body, that's our habits, our, the, even our neural pathways in our mind. We've got to train ourselves, think well, do well. Uh, the soul is our thinking and coming into alignment with God about who we are and what he says and what his path is. And then in our spirit, which we can't largely control because our spirit's that unknown, unseen, unconscious thing, uh, part of us that screams or cries or laughs or is in distress that we can't resolve because we don't hear the voice. And so our soul, which sort of wraps our spirit 
articulates the screams of our spirit and gives voice to it and, be, and develops ways of thinking to resolve that pain. But it's only God who can get in that pain and fix it. God is the sanctifier. God is the one who changes. But we can change the way we think to come into line with that. I remember once, so maybe I'll just finish on this story because it's getting a bit late. I've only gotten halfway through the message. But um, I'm a faithful guy. Can I say that without seeming, whatever. I'm fairly faithful. You know, I just do the right thing. Just, it, it, we're supposed to do it. Let's just do it. Let's just get on. Uh, and I've been faithful all my Christian life, you know. And, um, and yet I noticed, I noticed my war in a few different ways. Um, and I didn't realise it was an issue until there were certain things happening in the setting that I was in and I'm, I'm finding there's constraints about what we're doing, there's constraints about me and I didn't recognise it as a wall but it was a wall. And uh, what it was, was a sense of inevitability that things would go wrong. Very subtle thing. I'd, I'd learnt this uh, before I was eight years old because everything did go wrong. Before I was eight years old, we, the family was a... a Ground zero, the, my, my, my society, the community was a train wreck. Uh, so whatever could, did. So I got used to that and, and you figure ways to survive, don't you? You just go, well, I've just got to get on with it. And so we learn ways to get on with it. If you've been abused in your life, what do you do? S- sit in a corner in a dark room and suck your thumb? You get on with it. And so we form constructs in our head, rationales of a way we cope that makes it acceptable to live in this status quo because we've got to survive. And so most of us, at the end of the day, we can complain about it, but we're survivors. So we just keep going. So I kept going. I survived. But then when you come to 40 years of age, and now these mindsets are starting to affect the way, because inevitable disappointment does not align at all with the kingdom of heaven. There's no inevitable disappointment there. All things are possible. God can do anything and probably will. And so at some point, this is going to interrupt a minister's life, because I'm completely out of alignment with God's will in that sense, his general direction of the way he's going. And, uh, and so I'd lived a life of faithfulness and, I, and I'd changed the way I was thinking. I'd worked very hard at, at you know, not, not responding to what my heart on the inside, my spirit was going, it's going to be pear-shaped, it's all going to fail, you know, it's not going to work. And, but I'm, I'm saying, I'm not listening to you. Push that down and, and, and walking and talking in faith. But then one day a, um, a very godly, very credible and competent minister in the Holy Spirit came to our church and I booked in a, a couple of hours session with her. And um, you know, some, there, there, are, there are kooks and crackpots in the Christian world. I've met a few. And then there are people who just get this thing right and they, they understand, they have a whole person theology, they are credible and powerful and they're working in the flow of the Holy Spirit. And so I was just in the room with them when we were talking and she just said to me, I just want to pray for you. I just feel it's time that you've lived a life of faithfulness but I need to pray something off you. Is that okay? I went, go for it. What I didn't realise is that my aligned thinking to a gateway of, uh, sorry, a pathway that was anti-God's kingdom opens you up to another kingdom. It, it means you're partnering with another agenda. Paul talks about creating footholds for the evil one. And so my mindset and my thinking at, at, before I was eight years old had created a foothold for the evil one to, it's saying, I'll give you permission to help that way of thinking. So it was almost like setting up a sail so I could catch that wind. And so that had become instinctive. So that foothold had remained, even though I disciplined my body, now my soul over many years, but I hadn't known that I had a work to do in my spirit. And so, but the work was very easy because the evil one uh, has no um, rights over the life of a believer unless we hand them to them. 
And so it's a bit like a cicada that's missing its body. There's just a shell. The cicada can just sit there, but it's an empty shell. You've just got to flick that thing off. So I hadn't flicked it off. It was just a foothold that had a legal right that I hadn't broken. And she just said, can I pray? I went, absolutely pray. She said, I'd lift the spirit of this off you right now in Jesus' name. And I didn't feel a thing. I thought, this? What's this? And this represents this whole archetype of um, influence of the evil one. So this is, um, comes from the Roman word dispater. It's the uh, anti-father. It's where if someone disses you, what do they do? They're tearing you down. And so... Uh, you can be dissed, there's disease, there's dissatisfaction, there's uh, disownment, disappointment, disinheritance, all these sorts of things are tearing down what should be ours. And I'd partnered with disappointment. And so she just literally prayed a very simple prayer. There was no manifestation, there was nothing weird. Faithfulness over all those years had broken any real influence that was there, but it just had to be flicked away. And I went out of the room, I thought, well, that was, that was interesting. Um, but went outside and I, and I started saying instantly a phrase that I'd never uttered before in my life about something when a challenge came up. Uh, and as soon as I walked out of the room and she was with me, something, and it was a challenge, I went, oh no, I'm very hopeful for that. And then within four or five minutes, I'd said, I'm very hopeful five times, a statement I'd never said before. The spirit would, had just been sanctified. God had just transformed my spirit. I'd been faithful for a long time, but I needed prayer. I needed something to be broken in a realm that I didn't understand. You can do all your like with self-help. You can train your head all your like, and that's good, and that's faithful. But at some point, you need God to come and invade your life, to fill your life, fill you with the Holy Spirit, and push out any other influence that we've given footholds over the years. So there's room for obedience, and there's room for inner healing ministry as well, done really well. And we promote that here. We teach that at this church. And I've never been the same since. I am hopeful is one of my favorite phrases. You can throw anything at me. I'll just come back and say, I'm hopeful for that. God's, God can do anything. I wonder if there's anything like that in your life where it, that's been your wall and you haven't known how to kick it, you haven't known, you've done you've, the faithfulness, the whole thing. Or maybe you've given up and you said, I'm not going back to that wall. Well, we would love to pray with you about that today and, and not just today, this is just our culture. This is just you drop your little drop in our bucket, you're going to hear and you're going to pray. And first prize for me is that on days like this, we can have a sovereign and supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit in your life that this room is full of people, not just prayer ministers in the corner, but each one of us now and again is inspired by the Holy Spirit because He's led us to have an encounter with someone else. And we just say, I just really sense God is saying something over your life. Do you mind if I pray? If I get it wrong, remove it. But let's just pray right now. Those divine moments for some of us can be as simple as holding out a hand and shaking it and saying, can I hear your story? That we don't leave here without connecting with someone else. We create opportunities in faith that God may just have a divine appointment in any moment in this sort of place. That's first prize for me. A powerful people, credible people, operating under God's prophetic utterance, breaking chains and setting people free. I needed to be set free. And I've never, the greatest lesson I got from that is we can never find acceptable a church, a local church that doesn't embrace and be equipped in that sort of ministry. It's fundamental to the way we work. We can't do strength. We can't do God's business in our own strength. Who are we kidding? Let's pray together. Father, we pray, we invite your Holy Spirit. We welcome your Holy Spirit. We wouldn't want it any other way, Father, that you would invade our lives, that you would change, that you would restore hope, that we would be hopeful for things, that identity would be transformed. I pray for women here today, 
that they would know, that they would see who they are as God's daughters. I pray for men right now, because we've all got things we need to change and grow in. Just as much as the ladies need a revelation of God's grace and identity, men need it as well, Father. That we would know what it means to be a son, a warrior who climbs a mountain worth climbing and not wasting our life, flushing our horsepower on things that don't matter. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would just shine a light in this place. That we would never be known as a bunch of people who are locked up and chained down in misery, Father, but we'd be those who know how to break through, who can look at our wall and go, I'm going full tilt towards that thing in faith that God's gonna get me through that. Father, I pray you'd shine a light in this place. That this would not be a place of just sadness, of just mourning, but it would be a place of joy and brightness and hope in the Holy Spirit as well. Will you begin to transform our hearts? And all God requires of you is to say, yes, transform my heart. And your yes will look like a radical step of obedience. It will look like turning around from the addictions. It will look like saying no to the things that you've been saying yes to for way too long. That's your step of yes that makes room for God to come and fill. So Lord, will you come and fill those spaces in Jesus' mighty name?